Be ready. Because consider this. One person believes in pre-trib. One person believes they're going through the trip. Well, let me put it in layman's terms. One person doesn't believe they will be saved from the great tribulation. They won't have to go through it. God will save them because they're a Christian. The other person believes that they have to go through the great tribulation. So it may be scary, but they're preparing their mind for it. And they, they know that if they do find themselves in the middle of it, they know this is part of God's plan according to the scriptures. But what about the first guy that thought it wasn't part of God's plan, thought he was going to be saved? Don't you think that you're going to be stuck in a, like a left behind situation? Left behind is garbage. Left behind is not biblical at all. It's got everyone believing that if they're stuck here, they got God forsake, had forsaken them. I think more people are going to be distraught. If what I'm saying is true, if, the, if my understanding of scripture is true, I think people that are believing in the, the pre-trib rapture are going to be very disappointed, very troubled, and very shaken in their faith if they find themselves witnessing Christians being martyred and going through this great trial. Welcome to Acts 2 and 42. Real discussions, real opinions, real stories and testimonies, real church talk. Welcome to Acts 2 and 42. All right, welcome back to Acts 242 Podcast. This is Keith. Uh, today I want to kind of dive into the uh, the rapture. Um, you know, recently, you know, about two weeks ago, it was on my mind um, to do something on the rapture and basically to explain why there's no uh, rapture per se uh, coming to save you uh, from trouble. Now, uh, forgive me, I'm a little bit raspy, so I'm kind of struggling through this, but um. Nonetheless, uh, yeah, within a couple of days um, of me, you know, thinking to do this, um, someone I know had privately inboxed me and um, said that they were really worried about some things. And, you know, namely it, it, that Jesus was returning. So <laughs> um, and they, they, they shared a Facebook group that was um in my estimation, um, inaccurate predictions and mostly uh, QAnon conspiracy theory. Um, what do you call it? Gementria or however you pronounce it, but it's um, it's like um, uncoding things, uh, hidden secrets and mysteries and prophecies using numbers and alphabets. There's a alphabetical um, system where each alphabet letter has a numerical value. So each word <clears throat> adds up to a certain number. And so anyway, but I, I looked uh, through the information that had concerned her and it was all from my estimation, uh, pretty much garbage, um, pretty much garbage, but almost no mention of the scriptures, um, almost no mention of biblical things. But, but I did tell them that I was, well, I asked, you know, what concerns you? Like, why are you scared that Christ is coming back if you're a Christian? You know, um, I don't know, maybe, you know, some, one of you listening that the thought of him returning, like this is all the end and he'll be returning soon. Uh, maybe that scares you. Um, and I don't know if it does, I would, I would, I would tell you to ask yourself why, what am I actually scared of? Right. Um, the return of Christ, the second advent of Christ was something that the church, you know, early Christians and the apostles looked forward to. That was their hope of the day that he returned, right? 
So if you're, if you're nervous about this or unsettled, then you got to ask yourself why. So, and it could be a variety of different things, but I'm just saying, you know, ask yourself that and kind of work through that. So that's why I asked her, you know, what, what upset you about this? And, um, I think she was concerned that the world was unraveling and, and this was the end times and, and basically things in the world would get bad, but then she, uh, kind of offered herself uh, comfort or consolation that, well, you know, I think we'll be taken out of here, you know, before it gets too bad. And that's where I had to be the bearer of bad news. Like I am today. Um, saying, I don't think so. Um, so give a little background before I'm, I'm not, this is not going to be, um, like a full on Bible study, but I have to point you at, you know, like four main scriptures that you can look at for yourself. Um, I will, give you a little background on my belief real quick before I do that. Uh, my belief started out as what they call pre-tribulation, which I think is if you're believing in the rapture right now, that's normally what you're believing in. Um, pre-tribulation, if you understand prefixes, is just that. It means that there's a rapture that will take place. God will take the church before the tribulation period, before the tribulation, the great tribulation in the end. So he'll basically rescue the church from having to go through this uh, terrible, terrible time. Um, this was my original belief and just like most of my beliefs, as many of you probably do, I defended it, you know, um, to the death normally with very poor weapons. But one day, right, I started to, to evolve a little bit as a Christian <laughs> and one day I reached out to guys <clears throat> that I knew on social media and they were always arguing and contending, uh, against the pre-tribulation, uh, rapture. So I reached out to them and I asked them, uh, privately in the inbox, if they could, um, share with me why they believe there's no pre-tribulation rapture, uh, what their belief was, and if they could point me to the scriptures that they're looking at. And, you know, ironically enough, um, I didn't get feedback from these guys. Like I didn't get anything from them. And I thought it was strange that they spent all their days online arguing with people. And then, you know, trying to feed a closed mouth, as I would say. And then here I am saying, I'm hungry, feed me. I want to know your teaching. And he didn't get back to me. He didn't respond. And it, I was, it was genuine. Maybe they didn't think I was genuine. I don't know, <laughs> you know, but it's just strange, you know. So, you know, my current practice is, is trying to focus more on feeding hungry people, m metaphorically or proverbially or whatever. After the second and third admonition, you leave someone. After the second and second or third time you've tried to reach someone, you leave them alone. They're being, they're choosing to be a heretic. They're choosing, heretic means um, they're practicing choice. They're choosing to believe what they want versus believing the scriptures. So there's nothing I can do about that. I can pray for them, you know, but, and I don't mean to kind of shrug that off, but that's, that's the most I can do right now until either God works on their heart or they come back around and, and want to have a discussion, um, want to see, you know, what I'm saying or what, whatever, but so it was, it was actually difficult to get this information from people. And, um, when I did, like I started looking at, <laughs> um, if you have a belief right now that you're rock solid and concrete in, except you don't know how to articulate the other side of the conversation. You don't know what their key scriptures are. You don't know what their, their, definitions and cross references and what, what their understanding is that makes them come to that conclusion. If you don't know both sides, if there's only two, um, but if you're only an expert or barely an expert at your belief, 
I don't think you're qualified to really have that belief. I don't think you ought to have that conviction. Um, You definitely shouldn't be a proponent of it um, because you're ill-prepared. Like you're not, you didn't look at two views. You didn't look at two schools of thought, two ways of thinking, two interpretations of a scripture and to say, okay, let me venture down this path. I can't remember the quote. If T was on here, he would remember it, but it's a sign of uh, intellect to be able to consider a thought without having to accept it. So if I ask you today to venture down with me a path where there's no such thing as a pre-tribulation rapture, um, I'm asking you to put your convictions and your belief in that on hold and actually fully and thoroughly consider this and walk down that path and see, is this what the scripture says? And if you don't do that work up front, you're never going to, you're never going to find any objective truth. Um, you're going to have confirmation bias and, and cognitive dissonance to where you're looking for things to confirm your, 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 the bias you came to the table with. We all have one. Just acknowledge that we do um, and try to put that on pause. And really, it's, it's hard work. It really is. But I found out, <laughs> I say all that to say, when I when I tried looking into what they call post-tribulation rapture, meaning we have to go through the tribulation before we are raptured. When I started looking at my own side's arguments in debates and in conversations, the scriptures they would go to, to say they were thin, they, they were non-existent. They, not, not even that they were thin, they were non-existent. Scriptures, they were not like the, the scriptures they would point to it, whether it's a, like I said, a conversation or like the charts, you see different charts on, um, eschatology, the end times and the scriptures that they put for the timing of the rapture is like, it's ludicrous. And I'm going to share it with you, but it has nothing to do with the time of the rapture. It just talks about the resurrection. That's it. Just talks about it. Great. That does nothing. So one side has scripture they can point to to say, look, chronologically, these things have to happen first. The other side is just saying, hey, there'll be one. Okay, great. When? Because you're you're actually saying, you're using the idea that there will be a resurrection. And I prefer to say resurrection, not rapture, but um, that we will be caught up in the air, right? So you use that idea. And then you build off of that, you know, when you suppose the timing will be. It'll be before the tribulation. Well, show me that idea in scripture. You can't do it. You just can't do it. And I'll, and I'll show you why. Um, so it's really important we all kind of table our own convictions and try as best we can to go to the scriptures, you know, kind of pure, clean slate. Um, and that's what ultimately made me change my doctrine, change my, my personal belief and teaching um, on the resurrection or the rapture, right? I steer away from rapture as I do, you know, other biblical terms because it ends up in a, in, in a debate or in a conversation, you know, both sides have used the argument, well, that term doesn't exist in the Bible. Um, may or may not be a good case, but if I can avoid that confusion and that rocky terrain, I'd rather just avoid it. The Bible says harvest. The Bible says the marriage of the lamb. The Bible says the resurrection of the dead, you know. So I'm okay with using biblical terms if everyone else is. So, but if I ever say rapture, it's because I'm using the idea that is uh, popular. All right, guys. So real quick. Before we dive in, I had to amend this section of the podcast and put this in um, because the first thing I want to mention before we even dive into scripture, right? This I shared this on my Instagram, and as you, if you're watching, you can see it on the screen. But it's a quote from um, Charles Spurgeon, um, preacher during the Great Awakening, 
um, awesome, awesome. Uh, you, if you follow me on Instagram, I share a lot of his stuff. Um, but I reverence the prophecies is what he says. I reverence the prophecies, but I have one, excuse me. I have small patience with those whose one business is guessing at their meaning. One whose family was utterly unruly and immoral met with a Christian friend and said to him, do you quite see the meaning of the seven trumpets? No, answered his friend. I do not. And if you looked more into your seven children, the seven trumpets would suffer no harm. So I just captioned it family because we're going to talk about, you know, at least trumpets period, maybe not go through the seven, but we're going to talk about the trumpets. We're going to talk about some of the things he's talking about here, the prophecies. I reverence them. We will reference them. We will reference them, you know, but it should never be at the cost of being what is most important principally as a Christian. So if you have a wife, if you have children, this is your number one obligation. So how do you, how are you a master at prophecy and, you know, the book of revelation and interpretation of scriptures and, and all things, but, but you're, you're not a good Christian father. So I want to say that just as a, just a polite reminder to all of us, myself included, um, more than I strive to be a master of the scriptures, I'm striving to be a better father. Um, Rome, uh, Corinthians 13, without love, you can, you can have all this. You can know all these mysteries, speak in tongues and all that. You don't have love. It doesn't mean anything. So let's not necessarily put this as a priority over those things and just a healthy reminder. Yeah, let's dive into these, but let's dive into being better fathers and better mothers and better Christians. So now, now we'll get to the scriptures. Okay. <clears throat> the first one and most obvious is Matthew 24. And if you're watching on YouTube, you're going to see this on the screen. If you're uh, listening, um, I'll try to best I can kind of give the cliff notes of it. I'll give the chapter and verse and the cliff notes of it. Um, but the visual, if you need the visual is on YouTube. Um, so I've highlighted and I'm beginning at Matthew 24 and 29 because it says it's, it's a very key term, right? Um, immediately after the tribulation of those days, immediately after the tribulation of those days, it's a very important phrase. What happens after the tribulation of those days, right? And we'll, we'll backpedal and find out what that, what the tribulation of those days was, but after it, then we'll see the sun darkened. The moon does not give light. Stars fall from the heavens, signs and wonders in the heavens and the powers of heaven will be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the son of man in heaven. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and see the son of man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he'll send his angels with a great sound and trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds of heaven to earth. Okay. Now, see, already I'm thinking of another scripture I, I have to go to um, to explain this. But so this, okay, this is the first time I'll say in end times chron uh, chronology and chronological order of this happens and that happens and this happens. This is the first time we see the sign of the Son of Man coming in the clouds with his angels to gather together his elect, right? And it's after the tribulation of those days. Now, it's very important to note that in Matthew, it seems to be more chronological um, than, say, in the book of Revelation. Um, I think if you're looking at Revelation as a chronological series of events being 
told, like a story, you will be way off. You will be way off. It is a series of visions being told. Some visions include similarities of other visions, just elaborating on different details. So um, I had another little anecdote to share, but um, let me point this out first. So what tribulation? The tribulation of those days, okay? So verse 21 says, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. There'll never be, never has been, like this this time that he's talking about, never has been, never will be. Anything is terrible, right? And it says, then this will happen. So here it says, then it will happen, which is after what's called the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet. All of this is is already <clears throat> prefigured in the book of Daniel and most and some in Jeremiah. So you may say to me, like, what the heck is the abomination of what, you know, what, what's that? Okay. So table that you don't know what it is for now. Cause I don't want to get into, into that yet. Right. But at this event, when this happens, then there should be a time of great tribulation. And then after that, after immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun is darkened signs of the son of man coming in the clouds, right? He'll send his angels with a great trumpet. And they shall gather his elect from the four winds of the earth. Now, before I pause, um, well, I want to pause for a second and say um, this same prophecy, if you will, is found in Mark 13 and Luke 21. And we ought to read these uh, synoptically, meaning um, we ought to read the contents of Matthew 24, the contents of Mark 13 and the contents of Luke 21 side by side together, you know, to bring together two or three witnesses, not just, you know, one, one part, because they all kind of add different things and leave out different things. So to get a, a more complete picture, it's like bringing the puzzle pieces together. And I would argue that um, the fourth is, is Revelation written by John. John's gospel doesn't contain this, but Revelation does, which was penned by what is most um, probably uh, the same John is in, uh, the gospel of John. So let's go to that. Uh, let's go to John's version, which we call revelation. It's the revealing, the apocalypse of the revealing of Jesus Christ and visions of his coming. So what I, the, the, the three gospels, you know, I just gave you, and this is say Matthew 24. This is this is the same prophecy. This is the same time period. These are the same events being, um, being shown. It's very important to say this. He was being shown in visions to John, right? When he was exiled to the island of uh, Patmos, he was exiled to this island, and that's when he received the vision. And then he delivered these, uh, this, these visions and these prophecies to the seven churches of Asia Minor, uh, which were the the churches at that time, the countries that had Christian bodies. Um. So we see the first seal, the second seal, the third seal, and nice little paraphrasing, you know, the rider on the white horse is first, and then war, and then famine, and then death, and then martyrs, martyrs, martyrs. I never understand how people believe that, you know, we're all going to get taken out of here and be safe and sound. The Bible is filled of, not only filled with stories of martyrs, but prophecies of martyrdom. You know, you will die for the faith, you know, um, not you specifically, but Christians in general. Um, 
So this is very important. Um, the fifth seal is opened and it says, when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the souls, excuse me, under the altar, the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held, which was in Jesus Christ. And they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, how holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? So they've been killed for their belief in Jesus Christ. And they're under the altar. Their soul is under the altar. And they're crying out from the grave saying, how long, O Lord, do you not avenge us? Do you allow this to continue to go on? And it says, and white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said to them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. Um, the sixth seal opens up, which is terror. A great earthquake. The sun becomes black. Heard that before, right? The moon became as blood. The stars fell from the heavens. Wait a minute. After the tribulation of those days, what happened after the tribulation of those days? The signs in heaven, the sun, the moon, the stars, and then the sign of the son of man coming in the clouds after the tribulation. I think martyrdom <laughs> is tribulation. Um, and I would, I would probably say that in Matthew 24, if you start reading from the beginning, you'll see what they call like the beginning of sorrows. Um, famine and pestilences and things like that. That's, that's some of these are the precursors, not the actual tribulation period. So I'm not trying to give you a, you know, chronological eschatology right now, but um, just throwing some, some things out there. Um, let's see. Stars fell from the earth. Uh, and it says as if, as even as the fig cast her untimely figs, that's in Matthew 20, 425, I think at the end of 24, it keeps, it keeps saying that, or it says that again, it keeps going on. Um, again, Matthew 24 and 25 go together. Just when you read, just know that, that that's all part of one message that Jesus was speaking. So it said that heaven departed and rolled up like a scroll, a scroll. Every mountain and island were moved out of their place and the kings of the earth and great men and rich men and chief captains and mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who shall be able to stand? Sounds like the sign of the son of man coming in the clouds. Go to the next chapter. Same thing continued on. And after these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the sea, the earth and the sea, saying, don't touch either one. Don't touch the sea and don't touch the earth, nor the trees, until I have sealed my servants of our God in their foreheads, gathering together the elect. Remember, <clears throat> after the tribulation, the sun, moon, stars, excuse me, moon, stars, powers of heavens be shaken, and then the sign of the Son of Man. Then the angels, with the sound of a great trumpet, gather together his elect. I'm sorry, I'm trying to move too fast. So I, I just want to point that out, okay? Um, immediately after. So we we have... We have it here that this is when, Matt, excuse me, I'm forgetting people listening uh, aren't watching. 
Matthew 24, 21 says, for then shall be great tribulation that never has been, never will be again. It's the worst time ever. Revelation 6 said that they saw martyrs and they said, wait a minute, your brothers also have to be killed. And all of that happened, go back to Matthew 24, before the, the signs in heaven and the signs of the Son of Man coming in the clouds, immediately after the tribulation of those days, immediately after. Now, he does say that all flesh, that, you know, all flesh is not going to be killed, okay? That for the elect's sake, for his chosen sake, he will shorten that period of time. And it's... um. Right after where it says, for then shall be the great tribulation, it says, and accept those days. In verse 22, it says, and, and, and accept those days shall be shortened. There shall no flesh be saved. Like unless this time be cut off, everyone on the face of the earth would die. It says, but for the elect's sake, <clears throat> those days shall be shortened. And it does warn if any man says you, here's Christ, believe him not. Lightning does not strike without everyone everywhere saying it. You don't need anyone to tell you there's lightning over there. If you were looking, you saw it. Now let's move on. Um, the kind of pre-trib argument, right? One of the here's two main scriptures they go to. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse thirteen. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. When people die, you should not be sorrowful as people that have no hope in Jesus. You have hope. You know that the dead will be raised again. So why do you have so much sorrow? Um, <clears throat> this is what Paul's saying. I get it. You know, I've lost loved ones and it is, it is uh, painful to know that we won't see them tomorrow. So there is that. But he's just saying, look, we have a hope. It's not over. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again... Even so then, which sleep in Jesus is very important. Sleep in Jesus. This is why the gospel is preached. This is why, you know, um, Christians are so overzealous to get you saved, you know, to get other people saved. Um, <clears throat> we want to know that, you know, we're all together. We want to know that everyone's saved, that we're all with the Lord. And, and after we all are dead and gone, one day <clears throat> we will all raise and be together again. So... Those that sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. So just because we're alive and we're, quote, raptured or resurrected doesn't mean that the dead, because they're in the grave, they just stay there. No, they're coming too. It says, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. Stop that. Shall the Lord himself... Uh, shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. Hmm. The angels, trumpets, the sound of a trumpet, descend from heaven, signs the Son of Man coming in the clouds after the tribulation of those days. Hope you're following me. If you're not, let me know. Um, inbox, what, however you can get a hold of us, the website, you know, contact us or whatever. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. 
so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So now, I believe this is simultaneously, but chronological as well, in that the dead will rise first. The dead will be raised from, the, from, from uh, it's almost like the dead will be brought back to life so that everyone goes together. You know, it's not like they'll go and then we're sitting around kind of like looking at our watch waiting. Like, is he coming back for us? Or, you know, I don't want you to, to look, kind of read too much into that. Um, so we're taken up, right? Those that sleep in Christ, those that are in Christ are taken up uh, to meet the Lord in the air. And that and, and we shall ever be with the Lord. So after that point, we never leave his side. OK, so here's another uh, pre-trib, you know, scripture. Um, there's also one in um, Revelation I'll have to get. Now, this whole chapter is beautiful, absolutely beautiful. So much doctrine found in 1 Corinthians 15, so much. Um, it's wealth of knowledge, uh, you know, or whatever, um, just a treasure chest of, uh, in Scripture. Um, do not neglect to read this and to understand it, okay? talks about the spirit and the flesh, the first Adam, the second Adam, and you need to understand all that to have a proper um I don't know. It's it's fundamental for a Christian. So here's where they get their rapture. Okay. Uh, here's where I used to get my rapture. First uh, Corinthians fifteen fifty one. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkle of an eye, at the last trump. Oh, there's that trumpet again. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead in Christ. Excuse me, dead. I was reading uh, in my head. I was reading Thessalonians, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed. Nothing really on timing, except maybe last. The word last. The word last is important here, and not something we're going to dive into. But in the moment, of twink in the twinkle of an eye, at the last trump. In Revelation, there are seven trumpets. This one says at the last. Um. There's nothing after the last. So there's no tribulation after the last. There's no, there's no other major events after the last. The last is the, um, the signal, the voice, the whatever. Um, that is last. <laughs> there's, nothing, there's nothing coming after it, right? Um, but, there's, but other than that, we don't get anything that says, hey, before you guys you know, go through trouble, tribulation, here's your exit. Here's where I take you before, you know, it's just as talking about the resurrection of the dead. It's very important to distinguish that if you believe this, that a lot of the scriptures we look to don't say what we think they're saying, not expressly. We're, we're kind of adding to them. Um, so let me go to another one. Let me go to another one. This, this honestly is the weakest. I already had that, but uh, let's see if I can find it real fast. The, the weakest, the weakest of weakest of weakest <laughs> arguments you could make of scriptures that you could use to believe something. All right, I'm just going to skim through real quick, you know, the first couple chapters, because we're going to Revelation 4, another pre-trib defense, you know, scripture. Uh, what they believe uh, shows the pre-tribulation uh, rapture. And it's important you know that without me telling you just after the tribulation, let me at least show you um, the other reasons you could believe, you know, um, believe in a pre-trib rapture. But Revelation starts off, there's the pro prologue, uh, which is very similar. They've got a cross-reference here uh, to Daniel 12. Um, so here's here's the beginning of it, the first chapter. Uh, uh, Behold, he is coming in the clouds, and every eye will see him. Every eye will see him. 
lightning striking in the east. You'll see it in the west. Every eye will see it. No one has to say, come look at him. Even those who he pierced, excuse me, who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Just read that, didn't we? I am the Alpha and Omega. Um, says the Lord God, who is, was, and is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in tribulation and kingdom and perseverance that are in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and my testimony about Jesus. <laughs> uh, on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. Okay. Now, I believe that's Sunday. Um, and we're not going to, I really don't want to get in that. I have a hard time skipping over things that, um, people could read in two different ways without, you know, breaking them down, but I'm just, I am going to actually skip over it. Um, the Lord's day is Sunday was on a Sunday. He was in the spirit and heard behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet and saying, write on the scroll, what you see and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus, Smyrna, uh, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, these were seven cities, okay? I know that there's a, a school of thought. There's popular theology called dispensationalism, I think. I don't know if others teach it, but that these are representative of different periods of the church throughout the 2,000 years of the church age. Um, may or may not be, but this is quite literally seven cities with seven bodies of Christians that he was sending these messages to, people he actually knew. Okay, we know this from writings of the early Christians. They knew John. They knew uh, Polycarp, who I believe was his his uh, disciple, um, and so forth. So um, I can't think of the name. Uh, Ignatius, maybe. There was a couple of Ignatius, but it was a popular name at the time. Um, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And having turned, I saw seven gold, uh, golden lampstands. Um, among the lampstands, I, I'm just trying to pick and choose what parts to skim because we don't need all of this. The lamp scan, lampstands, uh, one was like the son of man, uh, hair like wool, eyes were blazing fire, feet like polished brass, like furnace. Um, boy stood through the fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. He stood through the fire. <clears throat> he was, he was in it. He was in the thick of it. And endured. Um, all right. So therefore, write down these things and the things that are and the things that will happen after this. Okay. I'll say it again. Write down the things you have seen, the things that are and the things that will happen after this. This is the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are seven churches. The second chapter, he actually delivers um, prophecy to each one. Sorry, scroll, there we go. To each one, the first is to Ephesus. And we can all, whether, whether this is for dispensations, like different periods of time, or to these literal people, we can all look at them as good examples and say, well, here's some things God approved of. Here's some things that he didn't approve of, things that he said, I still have against you. So let's see, we go through, we go through, okay, the third chapter, he's still um, prophecies to the individual churches, all needful information, just not needful for what we're talking about at the moment, I don't think. So the fourth one, this is where it gets important. He says, first verse, Revelation 4 and 1, after this, I looked and I saw a door standing open in heaven and the voice I had previously heard speak to me like a trumpet was saying, come up here and I will show you 
what must happen after these things. What does that say? Like, like seriously, what does that say? After this, I looked and I saw a door standing open in heaven. Who is speaking, right? Who is speaking? John. After this, I looked. A door was open in heaven and a voice I had previously heard speak to me like a trumpet was saying to me, John, John, come up here and I will show you what must happen after these things. They make that the rapture. I hope you read that and you're as, you're as upset um, theologically, scholastically, academically, literally, metaphorically. I mean, that is, that's not the rapture. That's not the rapture. That is the angel which spoke to him, calling him up to heaven to show him the earth and show him the things that were going to unfold. That was quite literally speaking to John, telling John to come up here. And he says, at once I was in the spirit and I saw a throne standing in heaven. Now this is John seeing these things in a vision. It's all beautiful stuff though, by the way. So if you have time, read it. Fifth chapter, we get into the uh, the lamb with the scrolls. Um, sixth chapter, where we, we were previously, is the uh, the scrolls or the um, seals. You know, just, just real quick, imagine a scroll, a piece of paper writing, rolled up. And then how they would seal that, they would seal it normally with like wax or something and they'd melt it and they'd put their seal on it to keep it closed, right? And that's how you'd know that it was private. No one had looked at it and everything. These are these seals being undone, the, set, the six seals. So that wax, that seal, whatever is being taken off the scroll and it's being unrolled so we can see the contents of it. Anyway, um, that's that none of this is, none of this is, um, uh, yeah, none of this is relevant. Um, that that is not that is not have anything to do with anything. <laughs> not all right. I have no words right now, you know. But let me say this, because um, there's one other thing that they go to, and I'm not gonna pull the scripture, it's not really necessary, but it's it says that that we are not appointed unto wrath. Like like God's wrath is not to us. We are forgiven, we are the elect, we are the chosen, we are the ones that repent of our sins and trust in the Lord. And, and he is just and faithful to forgive our sins, right? So there's no wrath in store for us. You need to understand that tribulation is not the wrath of God. It's the persecution coming from the world, namely Satan. This is Satan punishing and attacking Christians to get them to bend the knee, to get them to turn from God. This is not God's hatred to you. This is not God's punishment to the church. This is not God being a bad parent saying, I don't care if my kid's getting bullied on the schoolyard. I'm going to let him get his tail whipped and you know, snot beat out of him. I just don't care. I'm not going to step in. That's not what tribulation is. Tribulation is Job suffering for righteousness sake. Tribulation is Jesus suffering for righteousness sake. It is um, Stephen in Acts the seventh chapter dying for his testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's tribulation. First Peter, the fourth chapter said, thinking not strange when these fiery trials come upon you as to try you. I think it's revelation 13, um, talks about the antichrist, the beast and the antichrist. And, but the image that is made like they, they want 
Christians. They want them to worship their God. They want them to bow to the image of their God and worship the beast. And if you do that, you cannot be saved. That's for another day, but you cannot be saved. You, you need to, you know, eyes and ears open, you know, watch and pray, you know, all these things. Him that has an ear, let him hear. You need to be watching for the man of sin, for the Antichrist, for this beast system. You need to be looking for their mark. You need to be praying about this. It's not about uh, gementria or whatever however you say the word. It's not about biblical or extra biblical numerology and codes being deciphered in Da Vinci code and has nothing to do with that. It's fasting and prayer. It's when the spirit reveals. We only see what his spirit allows us to see. We only know what he allows us to know. I think it was um, Eusebius, um, the earliest church historian. I always, I always use air quotes. I don't know why. The earliest church historian. When they were wondering if Nero or domination was the 666, you know, beast because of the persecution they suffered at that time. And he, he like long and short, you can read his writings for yourself. They're actually very good. Um, but he said, look, it's not for us to know. It, it will be revealed to the church. Like that man will be revealed to them. And if it's not yet, then it's not God's will or it's not, this is not the fulfilling of that prophecy. So we don't have to like, you know, rack our brains and try to solve the code or try to figure out. And you may have saw that we have a YouTube video, um, like who's this guy talking about Jared Kushner, um, Trump's son-in-law and how he orchestrated the peace deals and he's got the apartment 666 you know park ave that he paid twice its its value for and um, that's a, that's an important thing to them that's an important thing to people that buy property like that and that's like again a whole other conversation uh another whole a whole another conversation something like that if my sister's listening she'd get it um that's a that's a different discussion um you may think that's dumb and i would agree Whatever your address is, 1956 something Terrace or Road, what does that matter? To them, it matters. 666, whatever address matters. Um, anyway, so this is just something we should pay attention to. It's not like we're predicting it, we're calling it. We're saying, hold on, we have a peace deal. That's a big deal. Um, and this same guy who's orchestrating it um, kind of came out of left field, but then for some reason really valued the, the, the property, 666 Park Ave in New York. Um, something to pay attention to. Um, it's kind of loose, but it's something you should pay attention to if you're looking, if you're watching and praying. Um, but nonetheless, there was more to it and it was more spiritual. It was more our involvement in things we were fasting and praying about, but, but we should be looking for these things and we should not be ignorant, you know, of what's happening. We shouldn't be lost and confused and like, man, this is scary. I don't know what to do. And this is not me. Like the person inbox me, this is not shaming you at all. Um, I don't, I don't, look down or shame anyone. Um, if you are ignorant, you know, if you don't know something, if you just don't know, you hadn't heard about it, you never read it or whatever. Um, so it's no shade. It's no disrespect at all. It's seriously not. Um, if, if I read it or matter of fact, if you did read it, it would be your job to your brother and sister to enlighten them, to inform them. Have you read this? Have you looked at this? Did you know this? So that's all I'm doing. Um, it doesn't make me any better than you. There's plenty of things I don't know about that I'm hearing from other people, learning from other people. So it's a circle, you know, one hand, you know, washes the other, takes care of another. So nonetheless, uh, we should be looking for this. Yeah. So let me get, um, second Peter th three and three. 
Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the time of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. This is what they say, right? Everyone has said Jesus is coming and the world's going to end and it never happened. Sky is falling. Sky is falling. It never falls, right? I understand it. Makes sense. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command, and he brought the earth out of water and surrounded it with water. Then he used water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. This is known through numerous cultures, through other cultures, not just Jews and Christians and and Muslims, um, but most ancient worlds have a flood story, a flood account of some type, global flood, whatever. And the same by the same word, they and we have uh, scientific and biological um, evidence that there was a flood. I just want to throw it out there. It's not just you know ancient history, but by the same word. The present heavens and earth have stood up, have been stored up for fire, first by water, then by fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord. And a thousand years is like a day. This is from the Psalms. God's time is not our time, especially when it comes to uh, you know, macro scale, like all of mankind, not just your lifetime. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to new heavens and new earth, for he has promised that, that he has promised. And a world filled with God's righteousness. So dear friends, while we are waiting for these to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. Another scripture talking about his coming and when we will be transformed. We read 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 51, 52, 53, 54, you know, that in a moment, in a twinkle of an eye, you shall be changed. 1 John 3, <clears throat> it says that we shall be changed. But when he comes, um, let's see, dear friends, we are already God's children, but and I'm reading New Living Translation, but already God's children, but he has yet to show us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we will know that we, we know that we will be like him. We know we will be like him. We are trying to be like him now, but we will be like him then. For we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep purifying themselves, will themselves pure, yeah, just as he is pure. This is why we purify ourselves. This is why we continue to repent, to live holy lives, waiting for his day. And as Hebrews 10.25, this is why we gather together more frequently as brothers, um, as we see that day approaching. So the last thing I'll leave you with. And this is the answer I gave the person because I didn't want to give them a Bible study. You know, the person that inboxed me. Um, 
I just I just shared with them that if you look at what Jesus said about his coming and the, and the apostles, the prophecies, they likened it to a woman that was pregnant, a woman that was carrying a child and that was going to give birth to a child. And if you read what I the, the scriptures I laid out for you, you'll see the same language travailing in in uh, um, labor pains and travailing in birth. You know. So I said, you know, this person was a mother and I said, you know, whether you are or not, I mean, if you're a mother, you know, it firsthand, but if you're not, you know, just from what it means to be pregnant and carry a baby, you know, you know, there goes the air quotes again. Why do I do that? Um, you know, um, what it, what pregnancy is said to be like. So it gets more difficult as time goes on and around month I mean, seven is difficult. Eight is like, okay, I'm over it. Nine is like, get me out of here. The 38th week, the 39th week, if 40th week, if you reach full term, it gets worse. It, get, it gets unbearable to the point that people, people, uh, women believe that they're giving birth when they're not yet. You know, like Braxton Hicks and things are so painful, so excruciating that people will mistake it for birth. Um, now, like the water breaking. That doesn't mean you're going to have it right at this moment, but it's a sign it's coming. There are signs that it is coming. We've been given a lot of these signs. We've been told what to look for so that we're not distraught, so that we, we have hope, so that we're, we, we, we stand on solid ground, even if it is kind of scary. Even if it's like, man, like personally, my wife and I were looking forward to being grandparents, you know, and if it does come, well, we may not be great. Well, but whatever he has is going to be much better than anything I thought I could have had. You know, um, I still look forward to being, you know, a grandfather and I hope I get to see that day. But if I get to see the Lord sooner, hey, <laughs> like I'm OK with that. Um, ultimately, we want to be with him. Ultimately, God's righteousness dwelling on the earth. Peace, love, no pain, no tears, no hate, no hunger, no thirst. You know, those are things that are coming for the new earth, for the new world, um, biblically. So, but but to get back to the labor pains, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. It's excruciating pain that you think you can't stand. It's the same for us. It's it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. It's going to be painful. It martyrdom, murders, and I would argue to the American Christian that thinks that God doesn't want you to die, to be killed. They're already being killed. They're already being raped. They're already being murdered. You know, churches burned down and bombed. It's <laughs> Christians have been dying since, since there was a Christian that continues to this day. Because you're in America, if, you know, it tends to be Americans or people in the uh, like first world don't have these problems. But it's because you live in the first world. It's not because it doesn't happen. It's not because like, so it's, it's God's will for some reason that people in Pakistan are murdered, but he wouldn't do that to an American. It's the comforts of America that you enjoy. Not the, not, and that, that may be the will of God, but you understand what I'm saying? There, there's, there's already people dying. So the idea that God doesn't want you to die, or that would be somehow the wrath of God for you. It's not wrath. It's not, you know, our brothers and sisters in these other, other countries aren't killed because they displeased God. They're killed because they pleased him. And he saw, he saw fit to get them out of this world and to put them on a throne. That's why. Why did his son leave the earth too early? 30 some years old, right? This way, dying young. Why? 
Why did he, why was he taken? Why was he killed? Because of righteousness, because of his testimony, not because he did wrong. So it's not the wrath of God. It's the will of God that you sit on the throne one day with his son and be joint heirs. That's a phenomenal joint heir. Christ inherits it. But it, to be a joint heir means you share that inheritance. You share that throne. Can you can you even take just take a minute and just think about that? To share something with Christ. It's rightfully his and he shares it with you. But only like First uh, Peter four again about the fiery trials. If you suffer with him, you will reign with him. We know we have sufferings. If we endure suffering, notice I told you, read Matthew, Mark, Luke. They all say he that endures until the end. He that endures until the end shall be saved. You can't read them and think you're getting a free ticket out of here. Lastly, I know I said lastly already once. I tend to do that. But you probably know this already. If you go to the other biblical foreshadows, right? Knowing the ark, um, uh, uh, Egypt, uh, Israel coming out of Egypt, right? The Red Sea, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Some of these don't have an exact typification, you know, of like the tribulation. Um, but let's just look at Egypt because, you know, Israel and Egypt, the Red Sea, that story in Exodus, <clears throat> that is is greatly used uh, as typification in Revelation. Like the, basically Revelation, Revelation uses the same terminology, the same things because of the similarities, because the first was a foreshadow of what was going to ultimately come, Right. But notice like all the plagues, everything being poured out. They were there to witness all of that. They were there to witness it. They didn't like leave before God did anything. No, they were there. Now, notice that the angels that come in the end, it's to seal them before they throw any plagues on the earth. So I would argue that if you're here for the plagues, you're here for the, the tribulation. Tribulation comes first. Tribulation is what, what the world does to the church. Wrath is what God does to the world. The wheat and the chaff grow together. They're collected and burned simultaneously. It's all over your Bible. It's all over your Bible. I'll leave, leave you with one final uh, anecdote I said I had. I asked a Christian brother if he was pre-trib or post-trib. He's probably listening to this, so I do want to share this story because it was it was enlightening for me, and I understand it more now than I did at the time. I'm like, so I reach out to him. I say, hey, man, you know, I want to ask you, you know, are you pre-trib or post-trib? And um, long and short, he was like, uh, neither, you know. I'd, I'd prefer to go to Matthew 24 and show you what I believe, right? Which is where I started off with you guys. So he says neither. And I'm like, we well, got to be one of them. But he was like, look, I don't want to be locked into a thought process or an idea that I have to adopt everything that group is saying. You know, I don't know about all that. All I know is I believe this right here, what is said by Jesus. That's what I expect to happen. That's what I'm looking for, you know. So, you know, that's good because some of these camps end up saying some things I don't agree with or whatever. And I think we need to stay away from the tribalism and we could save a lot of division if we stop with the tribalism, you know, picking camps. Um, we have a lot in common and we miss that. And that's why I always ask these brothers, what do I teach that you disagree with? 
I'm, I'm like, I'm okay with that. Like, I know, I know some things I teach are out there. I know that I'm aware of that and I'm okay talking about it. I'm okay with you not agreeing with me. I'm fine with that. But it, you know, um, Terry, who's been on the podcast many times, you know, has said to me in private, you know, some people that's like, that's a developed relationship thing. Like you've, you've reached a certain point in your relationship before you're that honest and say, I think you're wrong about this. You know, they they may not be at that place with you yet. That's cool. You know, I, I understand. I understand. I don't share that, you know, thing because I guess not, not, not like, not like I've evolved, but just where I am now. I'm not necessarily against you because you have a different view. I mean, unless you deny the Lord, I mean, that would only thing that would literally separate us is the denying the Lord or denying the re resurrection of the dead. Um, outside of that, we can talk, you know, and I, I don't want to talk about things we think we agree upon. I want to talk about things we don't. How can we say the same thing in Acts the 15th chapter? What do they do? They came together and asked questions. What do you guys say about this, this, the, the law and the uh, circumcision of Moses? Uh, the, the circumcision and the law of Moses, excuse me, circumcision through Abraham, right? What do you say about this, right? Because there's like these Judaizing uh, Christians that are telling people they must be circumcised according to the law of Moses to be saved. Do you say that to the Gentiles? And they all collectively basically said, no, we, we witnessed what God did without the law. Through the, uh, through the Gentiles. So how do you do that if you don't ask? You know, I don't know. Um, but yeah, um, so I asked this brother and, but I, I didn't get it at the time because I wanted a clear answer. You, do you think we're going through tribulation or not? You know, um, but that was, that was good. You know, but I think if you, if you lean more to the scriptures, you stay away from stuff like that and you say, man, well, I don't know about pre-trib or post-trib or millennialism or amillennialism or dispensationalism or all these different forms of eschatology. But I know right here that it says this is going to happen first. So I'm looking for this to happen. I'm looking for this to happen. I'm expecting to go through this. I don't know what it's going to be like, but that's what I, that's what I see here in the book, you know. Um, I don't know. Well, look, I want to thank you uh, if you made it through this. And, you know, hopefully it was received. Uh, at least in the way that I was sending it out, which was just, you know, hear me out, take a look at him and be ready, you know, be ready. Because consider this, one person believes in pre-trib, one person believes they're going through the trip. Well, let me put it in layman's terms. One person doesn't believe they will be saved from the great tribulation. They won't have to go through it. God will save them because they're a Christian. The other person believes that they have to go through the great tribulation. So it may be scary, but they're preparing their mind for it. And they, they know that if they do find themselves in the middle of it, they know this is part of God's plan, according to the scriptures. But what about the first guy that thought it wasn't part of God's plan, thought he was going to be saved? Don't you think that you're going to be stuck in a, like a left behind situation? Left behind is garbage. Left behind is not biblical at all. It's got everyone believing that if they're stuck here, like God forsake, had forsaken them. I think more people are going to be distraught. If what I'm saying is true, if, the, if my understanding of scripture is true, I think people that are believing in the, the pre-trib rapture are going to be very disappointed, very troubled, and very shaken in their faith if they find themselves witnessing Christians being martyred and going through this great trial. Doesn't hurt. Doesn't hurt to consider. That's all I'm asking. Um, what we have coming up, 
we we did a live stream about the alien deception and it was to our estimation we 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 had a good time and i think the people chatting probably had a good time and everything live um but to our estimation it, it was it was terrible um as far as a podcast putting it out there and i'm i'm kind of scatterbrained already and uh yeah so i'm working on that but so we wanted to we took it down and we want to repackage it and and kind of give you guys what you deserve, something clear, concise, easy to understand and digest. Um, not all over the place and kind of a little bit here and a little bit there. So uh, we do want to work that out um, and give that back out to you guys because we do think it's of spiritual significance to understand aliens, um, orbs, ghosts, anything, anything phenomenal, you know, these type of phenomenons. Um, it's a spiritual importance that you know and understand these things. Um, next, uh, there's another one coming up that we're going to, uh, I'm going to have Paul back. Uh, I believe, um, Paul Keynes from out, uh, Texas right now. Um, he joined us for the election night, um, live stream and good brother. And I really wanted, I wanted someone different, someone that hadn't really been on the podcast that much, but someone I knew that was biblically capable, um, and also knew that he had a spine, that he was going to be able to say the tough things, you know, and not necessarily be a jerk about it, but at least hold his ground if it was a tough area to tell people something people don't want to hear. I wanted someone of that caliber, you know, to have this conversation with. And that conversation is sin after salvation. A lot of people talk about sin, you know, what to do about sin, the problem with sin before getting saved. And we need to get saved and you do this. But after I got saved, I did some things wrong or I'm doing things wrong. I don't know what to do or what does that mean for me? So we want to have this conversation sent after salvation. I'm going to have Paul join me for that. So, you know, stay tuned. Definitely pray for us. Um, pray for me uh, if you would, um, but pray for this, you know, all what we're trying to do. Um, and uh, that's all I'll say. But um, there is an adversary. There is an adversary. There is an opponent. Um, but. Uh, we are more than conquerors, right? So, uh, Romans eight, correct. Uh, so anyway, pray for us, um, that we endure, you know, all this and that, uh, we push through the, the troubles that we're having. Um, yeah. And keep doing our service to hopefully to you, but definitely to God, you know, um, thank you. If you listened and watched, um, uh, anything else, uh, check us out. Acts2142.com. Uh, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Uh, and again, I'm trying to go away from YouTube, but right now we're doing what we got to do. So uh, still on YouTube. Um, anyway, thank you. And uh, yeah, let us know what you think.